church, please have a seat and let's continue in this holy moment in a word of prayer. What a gift our Savior is. Lord, here we stand before you in this holy hush, singing hallelujah, giving you the praises of our hearts. You are worthy. You are wonderful. We thank you, O oh Father, that you so freely gave your Son to us. Thank you, Jesus, that you humbled yourself. You left all of that glory behind to come as a humble baby to earth. Why? So that we would know the love of the Father. Oh, thank you. Lord, what would we do without the expression of your life on this earth that showed us the way to the Father that made the way to the Father because you poured out your life for us freely with no conditions. And so we stand here as your people today in awe and in wonder. We thank you for times and seasons where we put a pause on our lives and we remember what great things you have done. And so in this busy season that's coming up, I pray, Father, that for all of us, we would find a time to put that pause button on our life and to just quiet our hearts and for our own selves to have that time where you will speak to our hearts and make yourself known. Thank you that by your Holy Spirit and through your word, you do that. You are awesome. And Lord, we would love to come to you and give you our requests. And this afternoon, Lord, our people, some of them are going to interact with people at the Arts Festival and uh, Market in Richmond Hill. And Lord, we pray that you would anoint the conversations that they would have, the interactions with people. Jesus, you were the one who always knew who it was in the crowd that needed just a look from you, a kind word, a healing, a touch. And so we ask, Lord, would you do something special there this afternoon? People who are wandering around with a smile on their face, but inside, Lord, they're lonely or they're hurt or they don't even know you at all. God, would you draw them to yourself just through the conversations. And Lord, we also lift up our ministry at Toronto Alliance Church. Thank you for the gift of 155 gift bags that we will be able to pass out to our friends. And Lord, again, these are just things, yes, practical and needed, but we pray for all of the recipients of those gifts and for the team that goes down to minister to them, for Andrew and Bill and the team there. Lord, 
Would this Christmas, when they receive these gifts, be to them more than a, a thing, but be something that draws their hearts close to you, that you understand their situations, that you are the God who breaks addictions, who helps with mental health issues. Lord, you are so good. And so that is our end prayer for, for this um, work, Lord. Would you move mightily? And I just think of all of our brothers and sisters throughout this region, in churches everywhere, who are preparing services that are special to draw in visitors and um, guests. God, would you move by your Holy Spirit in our region this year? Would you um, draw in hearts that long for you but don't even know it? Yeah, come, come Holy Spirit. Let your light shine brightly and boldly. Lord, I ask now that you would just be with us as we continue our service. We will be having a, a remembrance and communion would you be with us during that time? Come with your presence. Lord, thank you for your living word. And I ask, oh Lord, would you anoint what Jerry has prepared for us? A word of encouragement and hope that your people need today. And we thank you for that. We pray this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for coming today, and we welcome you all. Um, I just want to remind you, if you are new or if you are visiting for um, the first time, we have a welcome center at the back, and we would love to connect with you in a further way. We also have a lovely gift to give to you. So please, at the end of the service, make your way to that table and uh, make yourself known. Um, also now, I'm going to have Rob Wright and Jerry give a special announcement. Thank you. Thank you so much uh, also for leading us in prayer, Bernice just was very meaningful, and the worship team, amazing. Uh, friends, I want to introduce you to Rob, and uh, this is Rob Wright. He is our new treasurer, and some of you know Rob from uh, your many years at the Christmas at the Farm events. Uh, Rob has been almost every character, except baby Jesus. <laughs> he doesn't quite cut it for baby Jesus, but he's been a Roman centurion, He's been a wise man, he's been a shepherd, he's been everything. everything. I, I wasn't Joseph. Not Joseph, that's right, nor Mary, so. Uh, <clears throat> uh, Rob, I'd just love to you to introduce yourself. One of the fun facts you also know about Rob is he's a rock star. And for you who had kids that came to the summer camps, uh, Rob is known as the rock star. He's, uh, he has this incredible collection of, uh, you know, rocks and uh, minerals and gems and all kinds of things that crystals he... Crystals. Crystals, yeah, that geodes. too. Genobes, yes. Geodes. That, <clears throat> geobes, I'm sorry. I, I wasn't uh, I, uh, a major in that stuff. But I know where Habakkuk is. And uh, so uh, Rob uh, has been serving his... Uh, 
his life. He's going to tell us a little bit about him, and then he has uh, himself, and then he has a, a special announcement for us. Okay, I, I, I just really enjoyed hearing the Christmas carols uh, this morning. It just kind of, uh, the Christmas season is something that just fills my heart with joy, and I just loved hearing the Christmas carols this morning. It's, you know, it's my favorite time of year. The whole world lights up with millions and millions of beautiful colored lights, and how appropriate is that? Mm for, you know, to, to signal the, the joy that we have knowing that the Creator came to earth for us and He will come again too. So it's a story that is still ongoing. Um, I retired a couple of years ago from, from a career in, uh, in, in banking at BMO. And at that time, I thought I was all finished with, you know, financial statements, budgets, <laughs> spreadsheets, and the like. But now, with this new role here, uh, I find I'm right back into that. And it, it, it's kind of interesting because each month when our accountant prepares the monthly financial statements, I get a sense of excitement because I can dig back into the numbers and pour over all the details, and, uh, and, and it's, it's really a journey of discovery. Uh, in any case, I, I definitely count it as a real privilege to serve the Lord, to serve the church uh, in this capacity, and in a sense, come out of retirement. Um, just to recap, where uh, where we are right now as a church, uh, most of you know that. Um, about a year and a half ago, we embarked on a pretty major project to rebuild this barn and to put a roadway in at the back for access. That was all financed uh, by a $1 million mortgage loan and a half a million dollar capital raise from, from the people of the church. And for that, we just want to say once again, thank you so much for your faithfulness to, to God, to the church, to this particular work here at, at Summit. Um, just recently, we had a real blessing, I, I would say. Two of the uh, final pieces of the financing for all that work uh, fell into place. Um, we had been uh, promised contributions to the cost of the driveway from our neighbors, from Metrolinx on one side, and the landowner on the north. Uh, they had promised contributions into that, and uh, the timing was very uncertain of, of, uh, for these things to happen. And I know there had been a lot of prayer had gone into it, uh, but thank God those contributions just recently have come in. And uh, it, it's just a real thing to be thankful for. Um, consequently, uh, our land and building fund is, is balanced at this point in time. That is with respect to uh, the costs we have already incurred. That's not the end of the story, though. We still have lots more things to do to expand on our ministry here at Summit. Um, just to give you a few examples of what those things are, is uh, we'd like to put acoustic panels into this space here to improve the sound experience. Uh, that's one. You've probably noticed on the exterior of the building around the, around the bottom, 
there's exposed um, insulation and we need more work there to, uh, to seal that up, to cover that up. Uh, ultimately, I think we'd like to put uh, uh, proper asphalt paving out here uh, for the parking area. Uh, I guess the gravel is good for now, but ultimately uh, paving is, is a better solution. And uh, finally, uh, the house that currently serves as the church office and other purposes too, there's some pretty major renovations that are necessary in there, uh, not just from a maintenance perspective, but also uh, to make some of the space inside that house more usable for ministry purposes. Mm -hmm. So th those are just a few of the, of the ongoing uh, things that we would like to do uh, under the Land and Building Fund. Now, I also want to mention we have the general operating fund too, uh, in, in terms of the way the church accounts for its financial resources. Mm -hmm. uh, we had budgeted this year for a 9% increase in, uh, in, in income donations to the general operating fund. Unfortunately, that is not happening or has not been happening uh, to date during this fiscal year, at, at least. And uh, you can probably think of likely reasons maybe why, why that wouldn't be happening. Um, we're all well aware of inflation. Probably all of us are impacted one way or another by inflationary pressures on our own uh, household budgets. And if you just look around and compare the Summit congregation now to what it was back in Richmond Green High School before COVID, we're definitely a smaller group than we were uh, at, at that time. So, I mean, there's good reasons uh, why, why, at least thus far, we're not getting the increase. Um, but I'm also well aware, from my own personal experience, that um, there's always challenges in life, and we serve a God who is much greater than any of these challenges. Uh, he has he has for sure blessed this church because look at this wonderful uh, auditorium that we have now, which used to be an, an old rickety old barn. And, and here we are 20 years later. So he has blessed this church. And without any doubt, he is going to continue to bless this church. So I believe we all have an opportunity here right now to be part of that. And uh, so my, my request today is just that we would all contribute to the ongoing work of Summit, to the Lord's work, uh, in keeping with the way in which he has blessed all of us. And, and you know personally uh, how he has done that and to what extent he has done that. So thank you. Awesome. Rob, thanks a lot. God bless you. Um, <clears throat> Church, we just are so very thankful. Um, we have had some incredibly capable treasures in John Wells and Dave Ball. Big shoes and to fill. Big, big shoes to fill. There's no question. But your feet are growing. <laughs> as, long uh, as, as long as this is Rob isn't. is incredibly competent. I, and uh, we had a little conversation in the office the other day. Of, uh, I, I've just been wowed at his skills. So you're in good hands, church. Let's just pray for him, okay? He carries a lot of weight. M many of us don't carry the weight that our treasurer does. Father, we thank you for Rob. We thank you for his life and testimony. We thank you for his willingness to serve you as an elder and in particular 
as your treasurer. We pray that you would fill him with wisdom and discernment, that, Lord, that you would yoke yourself with him, that he would carry this together with you. And so, God, we just ask your blessing on him. And, Father, we do pray that you would meet every need in the church. We know that you have always done it. Where you guide, you provide. You always have for this church, and we trust you again. Thank you for this uh, announcement today. We ask your blessing on all of us as we do so, as we carry and share the load together, and uh, to see you work through as money gets translated into lives that are changed, into spaces for youth, for helping the street involved downtown, for fueling missional work around the world, and for strengthening the core of this ministry in this region. So we commend them all to you and ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I have just a few more um, announcements to make. Um, just a reminder that this Wednesday coming up, December 6th, is our monthly prayer summit at um, Summit. And it starts at 7.30, so I hope you would be encouraged to attend. Um, as I mentioned in my prayer, we are going to tack Toronto Alliance Church um, on Saturday, December 9th, the team will be going there. And um, if you feel in your heart you would love to join them, I think if you go on the website and, um, anyway, somewhere technology-wise, you can reach out and get in touch with the team and, and get the details there. Um, another thing that I'd like to announce is... For some people, Christmas is not a happy time. It brings a, a lot of memories, sadness, if they've had loss in their life in the last little while. And so we have set aside a space and a time just to have um, a Christmas service. We're calling it the Candlelight Blue Christmas, the longest night candlelight service. And they will be gathering on the 21st here at 7 p.m. So if you would like to come there and just have a time of worship and prayer, um, please join us there. Finally, um, just a reminder that Christmas Eve this year is on a Sunday. So we will actually be doing the Eve service at 10. <laughs> and um, also another one at 4.30. Um, Please think about inviting anyone that you know or some friends and family um, to join us with these services. And that is about it. Um, and now I would just like to ask you, stand up and greet some people around you. And while you're doing that, think about what was the greatest gift you ever received? Well, good morning, church. Uh, 
I remember getting a Titan hockey stick when I was a kid because Bobby Orr switched from Victoriaville to Titan. And, and I slept with that stick. I dreamed of that stick. One of the greatest gifts I ever was given, besides you, Leah, obviously. Um, uh, before we begin today, um, I feel in reflecting and also in conversation with Leah, I feel like I should maybe just give a soft apology for last week, not in what I taught, but sometimes maybe how I taught it. Um, I was so passionate when I was converted from a premillennial dispensational view of the end times to where I stand today, that uh, in that passion sometimes um, I can maybe just, there's a lot of energy there. So um, I wanted to also clarify I was asked a question after the service if this is the position of the church, what I was sharing, and I wanted to say that uh, our doctrinal position on the end is in alignment with what is found uh, on the statement of faith with the Christian Missionary Alliance, which gives great latitude and freedom in your beliefs about the end, okay? So uh, I'll just read this, and it's very, it's very succinct, and you'll see there's great freedom there, that the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is imminent and will be personal and visible. As the believer's blessed hope, this vital truth is an incentive for holy living and sacrificial service towards the completion of Christ's commission. There will be a bodily resurrection of the just and the unjust, the former a resurrection to life eternal, for the latter a resurrection to judgment. And that's all that the denomination has said. They changed their doctrinal statement. We hammered it out in many general assemblies together uh, to give freedom uh, for some different views about the end while gathering us together in the fact of this. Jesus is coming back. Yes? He is. Personal, visible, literal, not a spiritual return, a physical return. He is coming, and there will be a resurrection of the dead. Glorious new bodies will be given to everyone, both living and, and dead, that will be fit to live forever in eternity. And there's even latitude for that if you think that that eternity is going to be in, ha in a spatial heaven somewhere or a renewed cosmos, heaven and earth. So let's agree on those central things and throw our arms around each other and celebrate that like we did this morning. Amen? And I won't say that. I was going to say something else. So I just wanted to, uh, to let you know that. Okay? Are we good? Are we good out there? Okay. Last week at the end of chapter 4, Paul began to deal with the return of Christ, specifically answering questions about what would happen to Christians, some of their friends and relatives, or people in their church who passed away from the time that they became Christians until before the Lord's coming back because they thought it was going to happen right away. What happens to them? And so Paul answers that question. He continues to talk about what happens at the end in the return of the Lord Jesus by answering the questions that when people have studied both First and Second Thessalonians, we see questions that are emerging. And what Paul is doing here is he is answering the question that they asked about when will this happen? 
This is a question that has fascinated Christians uh, for all time, actually. It's fascinated even Jesus' first disciples. In Luke 21, they asked him, Jesus, what, when? But Jesus only tells them what and how to live and stand firm. Jesus said, it's not for you to know. And in my human nature, I don't even know. Only the Father knows. So be ready, stand firm, and live a godly life. In Luke 24, his disciples ask him, and two times he responds to tell them to observe the signs, be ready, and be faithful to what God has commanded you to do. It's not for you to know. After his resurrection, his apostles asked him one more time, They said, just before he returns into the heavenly dimension, what is going to happen? And here's what we read in Acts 1, 6, and 7. So when they come together, they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? This is all about this conversation about the end. And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the very end of the earth. You see, Jesus never answered the question, when? He focused their attention on what they are to do in the meantime. And since Christ, this question has continued to surface and murmur all of us. And, you know, it's natural. We want to have this understanding. When will the day of the Lord return? When will Christ come back? When is this day? Many have claimed to know. They put dates out there. I was reading recently, you know that there's over about 240 notorious times that have been documented and proclaimed about when the Lord will return from as early, like early on in the centuries all the way through until just recently. Now, Jesus just doesn't answer the question. And if it was just as easy as just counting 70 weeks in Daniel's prophecy, well, Jesus surely would have told them. The closest he ever got was to exhort his followers to be aware of the signs around them. Or to declare that when the gospel is preached to every ethnic group, every ethnos, every people group in the world, then the end will come. More importantly to Jesus, however, was the call to be ready for that day. Loving the Father with our whole being, following Christ with full intention, walking in the Spirit's power, living a holy life and obeying His teaching, being faithful in using our spiritual gifts, our financial resources, and our personal energy in serving His purposes and sharing the good news, the gospel, giving witness to the grace and truth of Christ to the end of the earth. Loving fellow believers as Jesus loved them and loving all people as we love ourselves. So in our passage today, like in Jesus' responses to his disciples, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul focuses their attention not on when he will come, but on how to live until he does. Now I know that doesn't satisfy many. And I know today in particular, there are some very wonderful people who are preaching and teaching and writing books about the end, and they're giving sort of ballpark figures as to when it's going to come. 
And I just choose to believe Jesus and do what he says. Be ready and be fruitful. First Thessalonians 5. Are you okay out there? Okay. I never know. You know, sometimes I wish, you know, I was in black churches before, and it's like they give you, it's a dialogue, right? <laughs> my best friend, sorry, I digress. My best friend uh, was Eddie McCordes Jr., and his grandpa came up from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and they were in church, you know, and his dad just sat, his grandpa just right, mm-hmm, yeah, tell me something, preacher. Mm-hmm, come on, come on, mm-hmm, yes, amen to that. And it was more like there's feedback, you know what's kind of going on, right? I just never know sometimes. <laughs> 1 Thessalonians 5.1. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you have no need to have anything written to you. The times, the word is chronos. We get the word chronology. It speaks of duration of time or sequence, the passing of time. That's quantitative. The words for seasons are kind of hard to translate, but there's a Greek word called kairos time. It's different. It talks about the nature of the time or the significance, the importance of the time. It's more qualitative. So he's saying there's no need to write to you about this. We've talked to you about it already. Focus on the important issues. Don't be swallowed up by trying to find the times and the seasons putting dates to it. For you yourselves, verse 2, are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The you is, yourselves is emphatic. You're fully aware. The day of the Lord is a, an ancient expression. It's well known in the scripture from the Older Testament where it would be a day where God would bring just, justice or judgment upon sin and unrighteousness. And it's used all the way through to the Newer Testament. Th listen to the different phrases that are used to depict this day of the Lord. It's called the last day in John 6, 39. The day of wrath where God's judgment will be revealed, Romans 2, 5. The day of the Lord Jesus Christ and the day of the Lord Jesus, 1 Corinthians 1, 8 and 5, 5. The day of redemption, Ephesians 4, 30. The day of Jesus Christ, Philippians 1, 6. The day in, first, in 2 Thessalonians 1. The day of judgment, 2 Peter 2, 9. The day of the Lord and the day of God in 2 Peter 3, 10 and verse 12. The great day in Jude chapter 6. We know that this time, this, this day, the return of Christ will come. There's never any doubt about that in the scripture. It's gonna come. In fact, he uses the present tense of this word, which means it is coming. It's on its way. I know it seems slow. And so some of us, we say, wow, first century, they thought it was coming like in weeks. And so because it's been this long, we can think, oh, God's slow. It's not going to happen. We can relax. Remember what Jesus said in Peter. God is not slow like some consider slowness. To the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. Don't, don't assume. Just it might be a couple of days in the timetable of the Lord, 2,000 years. But it's coming, and it's going to come like a thief. And this is talking about the suddenness 
the suddenness. Not the silence. Remember last week? It's going to come with, the, with a shout, with a command, with the, the, the trumpet call of God, with the voice of the archangel. It's not going to be silent. It's going to be sudden. Unexpected. Taken by surprise. It's coming like a thief in the night. Now he's going to start introducing, he's introducing where he's going to go here in this in the night phrase is connecting with what is coming. He's talking about a metaphor of the moral condition of those apart from Christ. Please understand this. It will come like a thief to those and sudden and unexpected to the unsuspecting minds who do not believe nor follow Christ. And it's illustrated by the words here in chapter 5, verse 3. While people are saying, there's peace and security. Ah, we got nothing to worry about. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. You see, while people are saying peace and security, they're completely oblivious to what is about to happen. They're totally unsuspecting. In fact, they may even be mocking. They believe that just the exact opposite is true. There's no destruction. It's day of the Lord stuff. Look. Some believe that this may be actually even referring to uh, what Rome was trumpeting to all of its citizens all around in Thessalonica and even as far as Israel under its domain. The Pax Romana, peace, security under Rome. He said those that are saying this, those who don't believe, who may be even mocking all this, suddenly, sudden destruction will come upon them. Sudden is emphatic. And it's interesting that it's in the the past tense, it's, it's already coming without their notice. Again, some commentators believe that this was actually talking about what would happen 20 years after the writing of this. In AD 70, the destruction of Jerusalem. While people were saying peace and security, you know what happened. And Rome utterly sacked Jerusalem and destroyed the temple so badly that it was very true. Jesus' words in Luke chapter 24 that not one stone would be left on each other. Because remember, the inside of the, the temple was laid with gold and every single stone in that temple was broken apart by the Romans and every ounce of gold stolen. Completely flattened. You read the Jewish historians about what happened in that day, and you can just see it almost. Luke, when he describes it, Matthew in chapter 24, many commentators believe what was Jesus was talking about in Luke 24 it was, it was the destruction of Jerusalem. But there is another level of fulfillment we know. Jesus' prophetic words that disaster is coming upon him. The same word used for destruction here is used in 2 Thessalonians 1.9 where it clearly means the banishment of, from God's glorious presence. Being, not being included in the new heaven and the new earth, not being included in the very presence of God and all that God has promised for us at the end. To be excluded from all of that is likened to destruction. You can read about it in 2 Thessalonians. If you, I just 
I'll just read it for you. They will suffer punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day. It denotes a loss of opportunity to be in fellowship with God, missing out on the experience of eternal life that's truly life in the coming kingdom. He likens what is sudden and coming. First four is like a thief. Remember suddenness? Now he changes and uses a different analogy of a woman who's pregnant. And I don't know from experience, but I've watched. The thief emphasizes suddenness and unexpectedness of their destruction upon his return. The labor and birth emphasizes that it is inevitable and unescapable, unavoidable, these consequences that are coming. You can't just stop it like when a baby has suddenly come, labor has started. You don't just shut it off. And this verse, showing the people's lax attitude towards God, reminds me so much of uh, Matthew's teaching where he says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven. For as in the days of the flood, people were eating and drinking and marriage and giving in marriage until Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware of the flood that came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Friends, like a thief And like the coming on of labor, so too will be the destiny or destruction, the exclusion from the presence of God for those who do not believe. Believers, on the other hand, Christ followers, need not fear the day of the Lord. That would be a good place for an amen right there. Just come in, come in. Yeah. In the remainder of our passage today, Paul now moves to encourage the Thessalonians that they have nothing to fear. He will contrast believers in Christ who are, and those who are people who do not believe nor live for Christ. He's going to make use of a common metaphors of light and day, contrasting them with darkness and night. Just like in, G- in John chapter 1, we're celebrating Jesus coming into the world at Christmas. It shows that Jesus, the light and life of God, coming into the darkness of a world of sin. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So this use of the metaphor of light, Paul will teach and inspire us, like he did the Thessalonians that those who are in Christ look forward without fear. And I trust that his word will do this for you today. Verse 4. But he's setting up the contrast for those who do not expect it, those who are going to be facing destruction when Jesus comes, but you... Those of you who are not in darkness, brothers and sisters, you are not in darkness for the day to surprise you like a thief. Isn't that good news? 
I don't know about you, I grew up in these crazy films, you know, The Thief in the Night. And this, it's like, oh man, we're freaking out. It's nothing to be afraid of. For the believing follower of Jesus, you are not in darkness so that that day would surprise you. You are not without light. You are not without spiritual life. You are not without the cleansing forgiveness of God found in Christ through his blood. Unlike those who do not choose to follow Christ or believe in him, who live in sin, that is, they live in, you are not in darkness, that is, the habitual atmosphere of not obeying God. The absence, darkness, the absence of the light of Christ, the truth and the holiness of Christ. You are not like this for that day. That day won't surprise you. It will not steal your hope. You won't be surprised like a thief who is suddenly caught in the spotlight and, spotlight and face the consequences. That's not you. Verse 5, for you are children of light. You're children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Light is our distinguishing character. You in Semitic languages like Hebrew, Greek, and things like that, the, the, to be children of something means to be characterized by something. And in this case, light, the way of Jesus. It points to the complete transformation within a person when they believe, when they receive, and when they commit to following Jesus. Their positional standing before God is changed transformed from dark to light from being characterized by sin and self to being characterized by Christ and his righteousness and in the day of the Lord they will be joyful and welcome and participate in all the glorious blessings we are not of the darkness friends can you say that we are not of the darkness it's true he deepens the contrast between the believer and the unbeliever, anchoring us in the bedrock truth that we sung about this morning, our transformation in Christ. Colossians 1.13 says that we have been delivered out of the kingdom of darkness and transferred into the light of the kingdom of his son. And Paul includes himself, Timothy, and Silas with them. He's talking about you, you, you. You're not this, you're not this, you're this. We. We are not of darkness or light. Verse 6. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let's keep awake and be sober. So now he moves from an exhortation that flows out of the reality of our position in Christ. So then, because we are in the light, because we are not of the darkness, therefore, as children of light and children of the day, let's not sleep as others do, but let's keep awake and be sober. It's beautiful how the scripture does this so often, lays out the, the truth, spiritual truth and reality. John Piper, when he did great work on this where he talks about that's the indicative. It indicates what is true of us. 
And from the indicative, he moves to the imperative, giving the command, exhorting us to action. So Paul calls us to live in a way that's congruent with our identity. Our position, who we are in Christ, as children of light, children of the day, not children of the darkness anymore, precedes and enables the imperative that we are to then be awake and sober. And by obeying this imperative, we live in greater congruence with who we are. And that's the challenge always. In Christ, we have right standing holy before God. He sees the righteousness of Christ. In our practical experience in our life, we don't quite live there yet, but the process of sanctification is narrowing the gap between who we are and how we live. And one day when Christ comes back, we will be as he is, all of our sin gone forever. But as in as long as we live in this earth, we are closing this gap. So who we are, we then are exhorted to live. Sleep is a metaphor of being insensitive, unresponsive in our spiritual condition or oblivious to the spiritual life that Christ offers. And we're not like that. So keep awake, watch, be alert to Christ's return, being spiritually sensitive and responsive. Being sober means to be unclouded in our spiritual discernment not deluded, being aware of spiritual danger, uninfluenced by darkness. So be ready, anticipate, look for, watch for the return of Jesus Christ. Does this make sense? So he says, for those who sleep at night, who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. He says, unbelievers are characterized by light, night, and darkness. Their spiritual condition is one of unresponsiveness, like someone who's sleeping, insensitive to his presence, his voice, and his way of life, intoxicated with the prevailing philosophies of the world, numb to the spiritual dangers that are looming and on their way as they are oblivious to the day of the Lord. So I just want to pause and say this. God gives us the dignity of choice. We have a choice between two alternatives with very different outcomes to either trust in Jesus or to refuse Jesus. Jesus talked about the wide way that leads to destruction, that is, that will lead ultimately to separation from his presence, or the narrow way that leads to life. If we refuse to trust Christ, rejecting his invitation to live for him in this life, he will honor your choice. He doesn't send you to hell. He honors your choice to re reject him. And he'll honor that choice, giving us life without him and his glory all the way from now until eternity. He will respect your choice while you live on earth. And you've got to live with the consequences of your choice. But our choice can be changed, but only while we're alive. The opportunity to change your choice or your answer to the invitation of Christ is 
available once you pass away, it's too late. According to the scriptures and the Christian faith, that's it. That's why Joshua exhorted the people of God in the Old Testament, choose you this day whom you will serve. Friends, I just got to push the pause button. Some of you may be hanging around the church with friends and people, and deep inside your heart, you have never, ever totally surrendered to Christ, invited his loving presence in to forgive you of your sin, and given yourself over to follow him. Today is the day. Choose you this day whom you will serve. It's time to choose to move from darkness and night, from sleeping spiritually and being influenced by the philosophies only of the world, to be transferred by accepting Christ's invitation, to trust in him, to live for him, to receive the forgiving cleansing that his blood provides and to receive his very presence by his spirit into your very inner being. He'll give you a new nature. You don't have to know it all. You grow like a baby's born. You grow. You grow. You learn. And he begins to change you. I can't not call you today. For the day of the Lord is coming. And you don't want to be caught off guard like a thief facing the inevitable consequences. If you'd like to know more about that after the service, there are going to be people up front that love to pray with you and they can actually literally walk you right into the kingdom of God and you can experience the very life of Jesus. So he goes back now in verse 8 to the believer. Again, another, here's another but. He's, he's, he's just saying, in contrast, since we belong to the day, let's be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for, uh, for a helmet, the hope of salvation. He's telling us what it means to be sober. It's a metaphor of being alert, clear-minded, and a very focused soldier. That is, he uses this picture in various other letters to the churches, right? In Romans 13, 2 Corinthians 6, 7, and 2 Corinthians 10, and most notably in Ephesians chapter 6, where he shifts this whole talk about armor. It's, it's less important to hear that every single time he mentions the armor that every little piece lines up. The issue is he's describing that we are called to serve. We're in a spiritual battle, and he talks about a breastplate of faith and love and a helmet of hope. You see here again he's talking about the three virtues that are paramount to a believing follower of Jesus. Faith, hope, and love. The three things that ought to characterize us, that we are to grow in. And when he says having put on, it's this, it's this participle that's meant to convey a decisive choice. Listen, what I've been calling you to here this morning, you don't just drift into it. You never drift into following Christ. 
It is a decisive choice that you make, an act of your will to choose to respond to him. And since the believing church belongs to the day, Paul calls them to live with vital faith in Christ, heartfelt love for Christ, and with a certainty of their salvation, hope in Christ. It all comes through Christ. Verses 9 and 10, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. God has not destined. He's given the rationale for why do we live with growing faith, hope, and love to ensure that we don't face God's wrath, his judgment, and that we receive our full salvation. Believing Jesus followers are to enter fully into this life, appropriating full possession of our salvation to increasing degree, not just the bare minimum to somehow by the skin of our teeth get into heaven when we die. No, no, no. He calls us into full life in salvation. Peter exhorted us to make our calling and election sure by adding all of these things to our faith to keep growing. You see, it's our destiny and God's purpose for us that we not only obtain salvation through Christ, but also that we live fully for him. Now, he changes the, the meaning of awake and asleep here. Did you notice it? He's talking now of where awake means to be alive and sleep means to be dead. So like Paul did, for me to live is Christ or die is gain. He's saying, so whether we are awake, we're a living, or whether we're asleep, dead, we, we live in Christ. We're in him. And then our, like, like, here, here's my question. I'll ask you one question about the return of Christ. Based on what we've heard today, so far, will Christ return in the darkness or the night, of the night or in the light of the day? The answer is both. It depends who you are. His return will be in the night, the darkness of night, if you don't know him, and then it'll catch you like a thief. Or it will be in the light of the day as you're awaiting, prepared, and ready for him. It all depends on who you are. Last verse. Therefore, church, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. He exhorts them to, to encourage, to exhort, to comfort, to strengthen with our words and our presence. And to build one another up means to edify, to equip, to complete. It's the same word is used of the building of houses. Therefore, we are to build up one another in our faith. And by using one another and each other, he's emphasizing to believers that the church is to do this themselves. This is not the role of a few professionals. He emphasizes the mutual responsibility of believers for one another. 
He didn't say it was the role of Paul, Timothy, and Silas. He called the church. You're already doing it, but he urges them more and more to build one another up and to encourage one another. You see, God's new community is meant to be a community of mutual support and strength, everyone doing their part. In 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians chapter 4, it says that, that when everyone is doing their part, utilizing their gifts and being a part of the family, the church builds itself up in love. The healthiest church is not the one with the best speaker or the best music. The healthiest church is the one with the healthiest body who is lifting up and encouraging and building and everyone's using their gifts for him, for each other. And the church builds itself up in love. And that happens from the simplicity of a smile, a hug, a handshake, to the costliness of patient listening, empathy, and friendship to the courage of building relationships across, across ethnic lines and racial divides to asking, how is your soul? My favorite question. To admonishing a brother or sister who's wandering, making time to disciple a new believer. There's a myriad of ways we do this. But church, the call of Christ from the time he was here until the time he comes is calling us to be and do what he calls us to do. We are not to worry about the time or season. We are to be ready. We are to enter fully into the life he gives us. We are to be a watchful, but to be doing what God calls us to do. So I leave you with two questions. What's the Spirit impressing upon you through His Word this morning? Are you certain you're a child of the light and day? Maybe the Spirit's urging some of you to grow in your faith, love, and hope. Or maybe He's stirring you saying you need to increase your involvement in encouraging others and building up your brothers and sisters at Summit. Are you in spiritual darkness at night, unwilling to surrender? And I just urge you, open your soul and your mind to him today. Trusting him, who he is. What he did for you in his death and resurrection. Trust him to save you from the devastation of being apart for him, receiving his very life and spirit by faith and committing yourself to love and follow him. I trust that whatever the spirit is impressing upon you, that you facing the second question, how are you going to respond to that today? And I honestly want to give you a few seconds here, a few minutes, just to bow your head in quiet and just ask, Spirit of God, what are you saying? And you make a decision how you're going to respond to what he's saying.
you, Lord, for what Bernice prayed about the, the pause button in the stillness and the quietness of our spirit. Thank you for speaking to us today. In whatever way you impressed your word upon people in this room today or listening online, I ask that you would give them faith and courage to follow up and respond to you. So, Lord, we quieten our hearts. We prepare our hearts. Cleanse us, Lord, as children of light from the darkness of sin in our thoughts and our actions from the things we neglect to do that we know we ought to. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd move among us right now. Don't let us leave the same as we walked in here. Help us to follow up with definite decisions in response that we would be ready to meet you. That we would be watchful, sensitive to your voice, doing what you ask us to do until you come. So as we celebrate this, this meal called communion, the Lord's Supper, this vehicle of grace that you instituted and gave to your church where they may in a mysterious way partake of your very presence by faith. We open our hearts to you today and we ask you that through our faith and trust in what you've done and what you are doing by your spirit here, you would feed our hungry souls and quench our spiritual thirst, shine your light upon us and through us that as we leave here today, we would know we are children of the light and live like it as we go out of this room. So I thank you for what you'll do. And by faith, we're going to eat and drink, celebrating what you've done through your death and your resurrection for us. Jesus, we love you. We honor you. We declare our allegiance to you. Thank you for what you've done for us. In Christ's name, we remember you today. Amen. So, we reflect on the teaching of the scripture that tells us that 
on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this, eat this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this, drink this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So I'll invite those who will be serving you today. Again, there will be four, two people in each row. If you would come through the middle, receive your cup, exit back through the side aisles just so the flow is easy. And I would encourage you then to, when you are ready, maybe you want some time, but I would ask you to hold it so that we could eat and drink together. Okay? Would you do that? Prepare your hearts. Come when you're ready.
the body and blood of Christ. Let's eat together in gratitude for what his body did on the cross, bearing our sin. it was this hard to get into the original. With gratitude, we thank the Lord for his forgiveness. And by his stripes, we are forgiven and healed. Gospels, it said, and after they had their meal, they sang a hymn and they went out. So we're going to sing. And they, after you linger for however long you want here today, we will go walking as children of light, children of the day, pointing people, guiding them to our wonderful Savior, Jesus.